morning, everybody, and welcome to this very special edition of Mornings with Marit with Jim Gavin. And Jim, it is your retirement day, and we, we made it. I can't believe it's here. We've been talking about it for a few months. How are you doing? Um, without generally speaking, but I'm doing fine. The uh, you know, it's a uh, it's surprising that it happened as quickly as it did because the time did go by pretty fast, to be honest with you. But I'm glad that it's here, and I'm looking forward to it. Including the last 20 years, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, they sort of went by. And thinking back at it, they went by a lot faster than I thought, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> so today you got to come to work in a limo. What was that like? Um, it was, you know, it, I couldn't see the traffic, which was a good thing. But uh, the fact that the limo driver was talking to me in the mirror the entire time and he couldn't see it either, that was not necessarily a good thing. Uh, but it was, it, was a it was a great treat. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, for those of you who are here, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. If you have questions for Jim, please put them in the chat box um, or in the questions. We'll be monitoring those. And we're, we're just going to have a fun conversation this morning. And it's exciting. We also have Donna Biles retiring today. So it's a lot of celebrations going on in the office, but also a little bit sad. <laughs> All right. Um, Th thank you, so Ray. And the sad thing is, is it was kind of... <laughs> disconcerting here and you were excited that I'm leaving. <laughs> that was a little discomforting. <laughs> I'm so glad you're leaving, Jim. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you today is just, you know, how did you get here? A little bit of your background. I think I wrote down, how did you get to be so smart? <laughs> um, well, it started out as a child. No, the, uh, in, in my insurance career, I was really, really lucky. I, I started working for Chubb, and, and just even as a trainee, some of the assignments I had made me understand insurance coverages pretty well. I was tasked with creating a homeowner's policy for the state of Texas, which was never approved, by the way, but it kind of showed me how why certain language was in policies. And from there, I went to uh, work for the Continental Insurance Companies, uh, and I went through a training program that began in September and lasted until May. And that training program went over every line of every casualty insurance policy uh, and every property policy. So I had this background in understanding what those words were, what their intent was, why they were structured that way. And so it's been somewhat easy for me to, to track the changes over the years just because that's kind of what my basic background was. That's the way I was brought up in the industry was to understand those words and phrases. Yeah, you know, one of the things I know we all love about working with you is that we can bring just about any question that we have and you know how to go figure that out and bring it back. And one of the things I've heard so often, and I'd love to hear kind of how you got to that place is you do such a great job of taking very technical information, simplifying it, and then putting it in layman's terms. And that's a really amazing talent. Can you talk about kind of how that came to be? Was that just natural, or did you get mentored by somebody? No, it, well, part of it is natural, but I have a, my background, I double majored in college in business and education. So the education part of me was always trying to make it in, in I've always been thinking in terms of putting things in context that people could understand. And then working in the agency business, it was, it was evident early on that most, most insurers don't know anything about insurance. So you had to kind of translate the policies into terms they could understand, basically. 
And so that just became the way that I sold insurance, was kind of talk to them about what their PAC policies actually did and give them real life examples of how it could impact their businesses. And it just became kind of second nature. Yeah, great. So you've had a unique relationship with our membership um, because obviously people come to you when they're stuck. Uh, can you talk about what that's been like for you to, to have that kind of insight and hearing people's challenges and being vulnerable, frankly, which it, I think it's probably hard for some of us to be? Yeah, it is. Um, it's been from my point of view, it's been extremely rewarding because I get a great deal of satisfaction out of being able to help people. And to the extent I've been able to help anyone, um, it's really satisfying on my end. Um, but it, but you're right. There are a lot of folks that are in bad situations and looking for something, someone to bounce something off or the answer to a question. And to the extent I've been able to help in that process or ease the pain to some degree, then you know that makes me happy. And I would consider myself successful if the folks that had those problems had them solved. You know that would that would be a success for me if that makes sense to you. Any trepidation on having that role? <laughs> Being, being counted on like that? No, not not really, you know, because because everybody needs somebody to kind of bounce things off of or vent to or to, you know, someone that can talk something through. And I don't mind playing that role. I'm glad I've, it's been a great thing. It's been great for me to be able to help because my basic nature is I want to help people. Um, and so I've never had any trepidation about that at all. Um, you know, the only thing, the only thing I have to be careful of, and it's a, it's a particular challenge when it comes to email, is I want to make sure that I am outlining the solution not as the as the best possible option, but not the only option. In other words, I try to get say, here's what your choices are, because what I would do might not be what somebody else would do, or might might not be best for them and for their customer in that situation. So I, yeah. I try to give some options in that regard. You have a funny story. Hopefully I can remind you of what it is because you've got a lot of fun stories <laughs> to hear. But I believe you were at dinner once and there was a executive that was asking you, trying to figure out if you could answer every question possible and you just kept answering it. You, I'd love that story. Can you share it? Yeah, I worked, I worked for an insurance company and, and I was at I was in a branch manager for an insurance company, and, and we had a, a regional manager whose whole game was to intimidate you by basically asking questions until you couldn't answer them. And so he kept, start, he's, you know, he would fire questions. There were several of us at the table, and he was asking questions of people, uh, hoping to find something that they didn't know so that he could say, you need to mo know more about your territory. And every time he asked me a question, I answered it. And he kept answering, and I answered it. And it wasn't because I knew the answers. I was making them up, basically. <laughs> and so finally, he kind of caught on what was going on, and he kind of looked at me and kind of puzzled. I said, I was in Oklahoma at the time. I said, do you want to know how many yellow Chevrolet pickups there are in Oklahoma? 2,816. <laughs> <laughs> and his reaction to that. <laughs> he said, well, you know the point I'm trying to make. I said, yeah, I, you made it like 20 minutes ago. I don't understand why we're still talking about it. <laughs> How long did you keep working there, Jim? <laughs> Actually, I got promoted from there. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes you've just got to push back a little bit, right? 
I know that one of your favorite people that you've worked with over the years was Regina, and we appreciate you taking on that, um, the Ask Regina piece for us, because I know it's a key piece and our members love it. And in honor of her, we want to keep that going. Um, what was that like to work with Regina? And t tell me a little bit about your different styles. And, you know, that was a very long relationship you had with her working together. Yeah, we worked, you know, she was here when I came to work for the association. Um, and I've always respected her knowledge and her ability. And we're, we were very different people in that, she, you know, she had this ability to recall things you know, like you could ask a question and say, oh, the commissioner put out a bulletin about that in 1978. And you'd go, what? <laughs> you know, um, but she had that ability and, and had, and by the way, kept most of those files. So she knew where to find all that stuff. She was very direct and very blunt. But uh, and she would she and I would when we talked about coverage stuff, uh, we kind of helped each other and helped train each other in that regard. Um, but. She was a great, great lady and and a real asset to this association and to the industry. And I think is still missed, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And um, I, I liked your article that you put together for us for Texas Agent, where you said she she could call on Shinola. <laughs> I think was some term that <laughs> yeah. you said. Yes. Um, she knew yeah, when she, to, she's seen stuff that wasn't for sure. <laughs> yeah, she knew. She knew. I, the way I phrased it was, she knew Shinola when she saw it. <laughs> yeah, uh huh. <laughs> That's awesome. She, yeah, we we do dearly miss her. She was a great asset for us, and we really appreciate you continuing to help us. You know, maintain her persona and make her part of the organization long term. So yeah, definitely missing her. You know, when you. You think about the last year, I mean, this has been a very strange last year and a half in your career. Um, it's really exciting to actually last week, of course, we had InsureCon and got to see so many people. I know you really thrive on humans and human interaction. And, you know, last this last year, for those of people who don't know, not only, of course, were we working remotely, as most of us were, but also you helped us completely overhaul our website and Info Central, and so the job looked really different over the last year and a half. Can you talk a little bit about how COVID impacted you over the last um, 18 months and what that has felt like for you in your career? Yeah, I, I can tell you that the, the quick summary is that COVID is the reason I chose to retire, um, and I say that for a couple of reasons. Working from home, I, I've worked from home on and off at different different points in time in my career, even with IIAT. I worked from home when we remodeled the offices for a month or so. But being trapped in one location without any interaction with people drained me physically and mentally. I was just tired. And I mean mentally tired and physically tired and lost a loss of desire to do anything, basically. Um, I began to I, I never I never disliked what I did, but I began to resent having to do it to some extent. You know, I don't know that I hope that didn't come across anybody in a bad way. Um, I still enjoyed what I did. It just the fact that it, there was no change. Um, you know, I'm used to being out. I'm used to seeing people. I'm used to doing classes in person and, and doing webcast and other things. There was a variety and that lack of variety just really kind of took its toll on me mentally and physically. 
Yeah, I think probably a lot of people on the call can relate to that. If you're that diversity of the day and interaction and the days look different than each other. I think you mentioned once that you read an article about memories um, and people not making memories and, and people not remembering stuff. Do you remember when we talked about that and share that little bit of a story? Yeah, one of the things that it, this was about three or three or four months into uh, the, the lockdown, I had I read an article that said that one of the impacts that they were noticing is that people were having trouble with their short term memories. They couldn't remember where they put their keys. They couldn't remember what they had for lunch. Uh, and as I was reading this article, I said, I'm I said, I wonder what I had for dinner last night. You know, I haven't left the house, but I can't even remember what I had for dinner the night before. And a lot of that was because the way our memories are formed is they capture a moment in time uh, and that basically that moment is then kind of seared into our brains as a memory. Well, if the background never changes and if time never seems to change, remember people are trying to remember what day of the week it was, then you're really not making any memories and that impacts even your short-term memories. It yeah. was. I'm glad I read the article because it made me feel better. I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you even commented about like driving to work and back creates a memory. The change yes. of location yeah. is that. Yeah, you know, what happens is your day starts and then your day ends. In other words, you can separate your work life from your personal life because there's this office component in between. When there's no separation, then there's no chance to create memories, basically. Yeah. No, and I think it helped all of us when you shared that story. And I know last fall we did a set of series of roundtables with the young agents through Elite Texas and it was really great having you on it because I think you helped kind of create some context from people and and grace during that time and don't be so hard on yourselves and you know life is different and I, I really feel like your perspective was very helpful to the group as we went through that so I appreciate you participating in that you you can always be part of the young agents Jim <laughs> Is it an IQ thing or an age thing? <laughs> it's a shoe size. <laughs> it's an IQ um, thing. I still may qualify. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So speaking of education, I, we saw on the news this week um, sort of the star scores that are out there for education and how much they've dropped for students from 2019 to 2021. Uh, we, you and I talked a little bit about that yesterday as it relates to and obviously the concept is, you know, doing classroom versus online education for kids and what impact that has. In fact, my son, as you know, is in college and he changed um, degrees because he was mm -hmm. going in through medical and trying to do labs that were just watching stuff and not being able to interact. He, I mean, he wasn't doing well at all and decided, well, I'm just going to have to do something because this is not working out and I'm miserable. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective for us in our industry when it comes to education since so much has gone online, which people love, and of course the attendance is great and, and people are asking for more, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on understanding the need for blend. Yeah, I, 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 this, is a, this goes back to my education background as well. And, and it, to me, the reason for the blend goes beyond the knowledge. I think that a classroom environment, there's a deeper learning that takes place. And it's not because the instructor is any better or presents any different material. It's because if you're in that environment, there are 
believe it or not, people are more likely to ask a question than they are online, even though it's anonymous online. Uh, sometimes because the way technology works, you can't get to the questions, but you have to answer them in class. And when someone asks a question, if you're if you're not the one that asks the question, one of a couple of things happen. Either it confirms that you knew the answer, or it confirms that you were wrong. And there's a third possibility, which is, oh, I didn't, I never thought about that before. It gives you another way to approach an issue, and you miss all of that in a straight electronic or online environment. I'm not suggesting that that online learning is bad or that you know that webcasts are a bad way to go, particularly while we're on a webcast. Um, yes. but, yeah, come on, Jim. We're right here, and they're all watching um, that. <laughs> um, but, 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 there is, but it's different, and, and somehow we're going to have to figure out a way to, or we're going to have to adjust as consumers of education, not just providers, about what we're trying to get out of it. I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder if we are actually doing as an effective an education job as we are a CE job. Look, here are the hours, congratulations, you get the hours, but did you learn anything? Because at the yeah. end of the day, that's really kind of what it's all about. You know? Yeah. You, you kind of commented, we were talking yesterday about how a lot of the learning can happen after the event. You know, when mm -hmm. you're in a classroom environment or at a conference, you know, it's sort of the Q&A that happens intimately afterwards where you line up and talk to the, the speaker and, you know, this is so sterile. I mean, once you close down, it's it unless somebody reaches out. Can you talk a little bit about your perspective on that sort of ending and, and that closure piece that's key? Yeah, I, there, it's interesting after every class and or if you're ever at a, at a seminar of any time, you'll always see people walking up to ask the instructor questions. Um, and there are people standing around listening to those questions and those answers. You know, that's part of the education process that doesn't get formalized, um, but that is of real value, particularly to the individuals that, that participate in that regard. Uh, and so the education process goes on. And there's another component to that, too, is that folks who are with each other in a classroom setting during breaks and things will often ask themselves or ask each other questions, uh, not necessarily even about the topic, but about something else, hey, are you having a problem with this, or is this company doing that, or whatever? Uh, and they learn from that interaction as well. Yep. So as, as efficient as online learning is, I just hope that at some point in time we can figure out a better way to assure that we are actually providing the education that is needed along with the, the, the hours of, cl of classroom hours from a CE point of view, basically. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said. You know, as you know, we have the OPEX program. I yeah. know with the producer programs, what a lot of the information sharing between the agents is so key and those sidebar conversations. Oh, I heard you mention this or, you know, what are you doing with that? And mm -hmm. I know our agents really are excited about, I mean, they love hearing from experts, but they really like to hear from each other and kind of get in the trenches. And mm -hmm. I know we're trying to move into some real interesting speed dating with agents, doing all sorts of different things that allows for a more unique experience when you're in person. Yeah, hey, they're you, coming for you. Can you hear the, yes, the sirens? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, it's about time, right? It's about, um, about time. We scheduled a limo, and now they're going to come pick you up. 
<laughs> you, you you might want to clarify the speed dating comment for those for, that's for true. <laughs> those are listening. We want we're, we're going to be speed dating our members. Well, that's something that's coming in the future, so don't panic about that yet. <laughs> um, um, yeah, th there is it, it. One of the things about any of our events that we the best feedback we get about our events is is often not about the the speakers or the food or the bar or the entertainment. It's really the fact that folks were able to interact with each other, um, that are competitors slash friends in the same in the same business, and that also happens in a classroom setting. And so those relationships are formed that you know that people that can be carried forward beyond that setting and that does not happen at all in an online in yeah. an online universe you know yeah good so to clarify the speed dating so people <laughs> don't run away with that and it becomes something that you know gets tweeted about i guess is we're really trying to figure out how we get agents to say this is an area of expertise i have and be able to publish that and then when you come to event you can schedule time to pick people's brains um, and really get some some great feedback that's one on one, and I'm I, I'm excited about that. The other thing that we're talking about, as you know, is actually doing as we have conferences or or education happening, trying to do more prerequisite learning so the basics gets handled before you get to the event, so you can really get to a deeper level when you're in person in a classroom. So I know we are, as an association, and thanks to you and a lot of the feedback you've provided us, is how do we just keep getting better? How do we get more purposeful? How do we make a real impact on learning and, and the caliber of our agencies overall? Um, so when you think about the future of the industry, we've kind of talked about change, changes that have happened um, over time. You even comment about no changes on a lot of things. Can you talk a little bit about what your perspective is from where we've come to where we're going and, and what you see that we need to pay attention to? Yeah, we, well, we've come from a place where agents were actually issuing policies in their offices and not being there anymore is probably a very good thing. Um, where we're going is, and I think what we've spent a lot of, what we've seen in the last several years are increases in the efficiency of policy delivery systems, excuse me, and, and, and rating systems in some cases and all those other electronic things to make the process easier uh, or to provide more information to the consumer basically or in a matter that the, in a manner that the consumer wants to see it. All that's important, um, but it doesn't change the fact that we are still selling a product that no one really likes. They don't want to spend the money on it, uh, and they and and they don't understand it at all. And it, that's why the relationship part of the business, no matter how evolved we become electronically, is going to be, I think, still very important going forward. People don't buy something they don't understand from someone they don't trust. It's just yeah. that simple. You know, if I don't know what it is, I sure don't want to buy from somebody that. I don't like or don't trust. Yep. And, and I think if we're going to see innovation and the winners going forward from an innovation point of view are going to be those folks that can take that 24-page homeowner's policy and figure out how to do it in five pages that the consumer really can't understand because that, in fact, will provide a value that no one else can at this point in time. You know, that product will be something that um, – 
and and by the way, is it doable? Yeah, it is doable. They, we just we've just got caught into a we're we're we have an industry that has based that's to this day has all of its property policies based on the original New York fire policy. And part of that language is still in every insurance policy. That's crazy, you know. Uh, and so there has to be some evolution at that end, in my opinion. You know? Yeah. Well, I probably shouldn't admit that I've never read my own homeowner's policy. Um, but I remember a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember the story where one of the insurance companies put language in a policy. And if you found it, you called a number and one like thousands of dollars. And I think it took a little while because people don't read those policies. And I think it was a school teacher, which is not surprising. This by a deep backbinder that went line item by line item. I would never want any money at all. And it should have inspired me to open up my policy and read it. But, you know, people buy things from people they trust, as you yes. mentioned. And we buy things a lot of times we, we buy things emotionally and then we justify it with cognitive reasons, right? And so insurance is a hard thing to get excited about. So that emotional piece is really about trust. It's, it's not about, you know, the emotional side. I mean, I suppose fear is an area that could be driven to, to buy a policy, but that's not fun to necessarily push mm. that too hard, but it can be powerful, I'm sure. So let me ask you this, um, you know, one of the things that I've loved about you, and I remember the first day I met you, and I came into town a little bit early to meet the staff, and it's coming up on, weirdly enough, almost seven years, which is shocking to me. I'm sure nobody thought I'd last this long. <laughs> and you held out, Jim. You really tried, like I'm an outdoer. <laughs> um, but, you know, you gave me the best advice when I got here about, like, when you come into the staff, really try and, you know, spend some time in, in the community, in Austin, talk, getting, going to the Armadillo, you know, Christmas Bazaar, mm -hmm. commenting on being local. And I've always, you know, really, as you know, when I poke my head around the corner and I'm like, can we talk? <laughs> um, you know, you've been such a great, what I call conciliary for me, you know, as we move into this next phase of things, which by the way, Jim, I'm still calling you. I have you on speed dial, so don't think you're getting out of it. But you know, what advice do you have for me as a leader here for IIAT that, that I can really take to heart as we continue to try and serve our members the best way possible? I, th I think it's important to understand that the as an organization, we need to evolve. And I think our membership, even though they're all independent agents, it's evolving as well. Uh, and I think to that end that like it or dislike it, things are going to change. Um, and I think I think you've done a great job of bringing in excellent people in this organization. And it's been an absolute pleasure to work with true professionals, by the way. Um, and I think that will probably continue. But I think the challenges going forward are going to be what does the agency what does the independent independent agent look like going forward you know yeah. um you know i've heard some things about what allstate is doing that might drive some of those folks our way um some more of those folks our way um but there's that whole model is changing we need to figure out a way to encourage people to get into this business and support them if it's through an incubator program of some type to get people into their own agencies or a mentorship program with existing agencies. But understand there's a, there's a, 
if you want to be an independent insurance agent today, you have to go through this process of getting licensed. No one wants to give you a contract. You have to have a technology of some sort you know, to back up that, which is expensive. There's kind of a high capital hurdle, hurdle rather, and, mm -hmm. the, and the problem of still trying to access and, and attract markets. We need to make that easier to get into this business. Yep. Um, and and, and I, I will say this because, you know, and, and I know some independent agents, when I, when I mention that, their reaction is, well, why do I want more competition? And you want more, con and, and my answer to that is, you're not writing all the business now. <laughs> you know, there's more than enough insurance to go around. Um, uh, and you're not going to write it all in the future. But yep. what it does do is help promote the channel. Uh, and it helps helps keep companies honest as well. If you, if you think about it, the fewer independent agents there are, the less reason there is for an insurance company to do business with independent agents. Yeah, maybe that's an oversimplification. Yeah, that, no, I agree. That may be and my I biggest think, fear. Yeah, I mean, and I agree. I think you know we talk about it all the time in boardrooms and with staff about we want to keep the the channel healthy, and that means continuing to bring new people in because it does keep us fresh. It does keep us competitive um, and we don't get complacent. And complacency, I think, turns into mediocrity for, for lack of a better way to put that. So, you know, I definitely appreciate that. And you're right, there are things going on that we've got to keep paying attention to. And I love, I mean, one of the things that I love most about this organization, and we had our volunteer leadership symposium last week, you know, we have 80 to 100 agents that are part of decision making and driving the direction of the organization and we take that very seriously that it's not staff driven but volunteer and member driven and we want to keep those forums open so that we continue to be strong so thank you for for commenting on that so so I think everyone's wondering what now Jim so what do you do I mean I know you're gonna go probably play in the limo for a little bit and have a nice lunch and have a little champagne but but tell us a little bit about what what's next for you um, I am happy to say that I'm, I've told you this, I've told Marth this before, I'm going to become a model. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. A, I should not have laughed. I could not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, I'm, you're trying to crush my dreams here. I'm you know, sorry. I'm sorry. I can have dreams that. now. Uh, and, and, and by the way, uh, I've I made that comment to Sandy, uh, and she said, yeah, if, if, if you can find a radio station that hires models, you've probably got a chance. <laughs> um, the... Um, yeah, in the short term, I want to travel a little bit. The only part of the of the United States I've not seen is is the Montana, Idaho, Idaho, Utah, the Dakotas. I want to go see that part of the country. I've been everywhere else in the country basically, uh, and I want to go see that and enjoy that. Um, other than that, I you know plan on just kind of reading and relaxing and doing some things around the house that need to get done and then kind of recharging and then see what happens next. I will probably, you know, if you will allow me the opportunity at some point in time, I'm sure I'll be doing some more things with the association. Um, wouldn't mind doing that, but it, I just want to kind of recharge for a little while, yeah. basically. Good. Good. Make a few memories, right? After being cooped yes. up in that, that house for quite a while. And of course you're always welcome back, Jim. We, <laughs> We, we, we already know that you, you've brought so much value. And for those of you who don't know, even if we have topics we're, we're discussing, we bring Jim in as often as possible because your perspective is always so great. 
um, and we need it. And so, you know, even yesterday we did a meeting that's not necessary for right this minute, but I said, let's do it for Jim Lee. <laughs> I want to make sure that you're part of it and give us some perspective. And what's great, you know, I don't know if you know this line, but Nelson Mandela's line is speak last. And you tend to do that. You kind of listen to everything that's happening throughout it. And then you kind of comment at the end. And that's such a great way to get the perspective before you jump in. And, and I appreciate your, the, your approach for that, your insight. And, uh, you know, we want to wish you all the best. We know we'll, we'll have you back. So, um, but it's been a pleasure working with you for the last six and a half years. And I know we'll, we'll have much more to do with each other in the future. So I hope you have a great day today. Thank you. I do too, by the way. So it's starting off great. Riding a limo is not a bad way to start today. And tell us about your little granddaughters. They got to go jump in it this morning too, right? Yeah, yeah. They they actually were up. They got up to actually go do that, and they were jumping around. In fact, they took pictures in the limo themselves. They didn't really want to come into work because they said work. No. Um, uh, but anyway, but yeah, they they had a big time this morning out out in the limo, and I've already they've already they've already texted me the pictures that they took. So oh, nice, <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jim, and thank you all of you for being here today. And everyone have a great day. And Jim, we will see you very soon, and we look forward to pictures from up there in the Dakotas and seeing some new stuff. Don't get hit what? by don't watch out for those bears. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, and I also want to thank all of our members because you have made my job a joy, and I really appreciate each and every one of you. Thank great. you. Good. All right. Bye, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you, Jim.